0: Through six. So I invite you to grab hold of your Bible and open up there. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one in the pew rack in front of you, page 1028. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Happy Easter, everybody. He is risen. Amen. It's so good to see all of you here this morning. It's so good to see everybody together all at once. You know, I think that Easter and Christmas are like, they're, they're the holidays where like the family all comes home for the holidays, you know. And so it's so good to see everybody here. I wish we could have had the first service and the serv- second service all together uh, in one place. But this is like half as good as that because we've got half of you here. But, but it's good to have you here. And maybe if you are... Uh, you, you grew up at Calvary, but perhaps you moved away for college or whatnot, and you're here visiting with us again. It's good to have you here. Maybe COVID has kept you away for the past couple years. Maybe you've just been away for, for other reasons, but whatever the reason might be, uh, if you're home here today, it's good, it's good to have you home. Truly, it's good to have you home and to be here with us today. This week, as I was preparing my sermon, I was prayerfully at the beginning of the week Knowing it's Easter, we got to talk about Jesus's resurrection, but like, Lord, what do you want me to say to your people on Easter? And I feel like the Lord said to me, just tell them that I love them. So I feel like he tells me to tell you all that a lot. So, you know, you're getting more of the same. But I, I thought, how do I, how, I, I'll say that, you know, but I'm trying to think through where, where can I find a text that I can, can say that with Easter? And I was led here to Revelation 1. Uh, four through six, and as I was preparing my sermon, I had this idea that I was gonna focus in on verse five, Jesus as the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. And I had a nice three-part sermon that I was working out in my head about how I was gonna uh, do all this. But I got going so much on this first point about Jesus as the faithful witness that by the time I was done with that, I had a whole sermon, and I couldn't have room to get the other one. So those will be for a different time. But today, we're looking at Jesus as the faithful witness and a reminder of God's love for us. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I'm gonna talk through this idea of Jesus as the faithful witness from verse five of Revelation chapter one. And then I wanna apply that to two groups of people, to those that are followers of Christ and are Christians, and then also to those that maybe are here this morning and you were dragged begrudgingly to church by your family, perhaps, we're very glad that you're here, too. And uh, I think the Lord has a word for you as well. So I think the word has the Lord for all of us uh, this morning from Revelation chapter 1. All right, so our focus is on verse 5 and this expression that Jesus is the faithful witness. And this Greek term that's translated here as witness means essentially the same thing in Greek that it does in English, which makes it easy for us. Just like in our day, the job of a witness is to testify to something that they've experienced firsthand to others, to the others who have not had the same experience so that the others can experience the experience of the witness vicariously through the witness, which is kind of a complicated way of saying that the job of a witness is to make present the experience of the witness to those who have not had the experience. You're bringing the, the experience to the people that haven't had the experience. That's what you're testifying to. And this term is used frequently throughout the New Testament, and particularly when you get into the book of Acts and beyond. This term is used frequently to refer to the apostles and to the early Christians who had had firsthand experiences of Jesus's resurrection. So there were particular Christians, not everybody in the early church was called a witness necessarily, but there were particular Christians who had witnessed firsthand Jesus when he had risen from the dead, before he had ascended into heaven. And these were called the witnesses of the church. So the apostle John, who wrote for us here, uh, also wrote 1 John, an epistle in 1 John chapter 1. He claims himself to be one of these witnesses. And he says, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, this we testify and proclaim to you. So John is a witness of the resurrected Christ. Now, all that makes sense about witnesses, When we think about John and the other apostles, many of the earliest Christians who were all witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. But notably, the term here is used in chapter 1, verse 5, with reference to Jesus as the faithful witness, which begs the question, to whom or to what is Jesus witnessing? What experience is Jesus making present to us? In John 15, 15, John writing in his gospel, he tells us that Jesus said to his disciples that he had come to earth to make known his heavenly father. Jesus is witnessing to us about his heavenly father. His father is the one that he's had an experience of that he's making present to us in his testimony. And the life of the world, our own lives, are all bound up in God. But God is an experience that stretches beyond us. God is not just really far away, such that if we had enough time and enough resources, we'd be able to make our way to God. He dwells in another realm of existence altogether. Try to scale the lofty heights of God's infinitude and you will end only in despair and exhaustion. Search the entire universe, plumb the deepest galaxies and you will not find him. He is everywhere all at once, but to merely humanize, he is nowhere to be found. He is an event that we cannot see. He is a circumstance that we cannot view. We can see his fingerprints all over creation, but we cannot see him. He dwells above and beyond us, the scripture says, in an unapproachable light, high on his holy mountain. He is beyond our capacity to experience firsthand. But all is not lost because there is one who has experienced God firsthand one who can testify to us of him, who can bring near the experience of God, Jesus, the faithful witness. Jesus has come to us from the realm beyond. He has come to us testifying to us the truth of the God that he has seen with his own waking eyes. In the same way that John had firsthand experience of Jesus, Jesus has firsthand experience of his Father. And he brings his experience of the Father near to us in his testimony. But Jesus is better than any earthly witness. When Jesus comes to us as a witness, he carries within himself the very thing to which he is testifying. If you and I were witnessing about some experience that we had had, something that we had seen, perhaps a beautiful sunset or perhaps a car accident in a court of law, we would only be able to use our words to make nearer to what we had experienced. But Jesus is a unique witness because he brings the subject matter of his testimony with him in his own person. He is, as the scriptures declare, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's being. He is the eternal word of the Father who was with God in the beginning and in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. Which means that when we encounter Jesus here on earth, we are experiencing here on earth what he experienced on the holy mountain. This is why when Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, asked Jesus to, to show him the Father, Jesus' response was, have I been with you this long, Philip, and you still do not know who I am? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus has come to give us an experience of God's love. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. It wasn't sufficient for us just to experience the transcended, holy, majestic, otherworldly God. God wanted us to know him and to experience him as his father who loves us and cares for us and wants to be an intimate relationship with us. It's God's whole intent in sending Jesus as the faithful witness, was to give us this experience of his love. Not just the idea of his love. Not just like a love letter written from afar. Not just the message of God's love. God could have sent an angel. He could have sent the prophets. He did send the prophets. He did send angels. But Jesus is more than just the message of God's love. He is the embodiment of God's love for us. And in our experience of Jesus, we are experiencing God's love for us, made present and intimate and near. John says later here in our text in verse five that this faithful witness, he loves us, and he comes to us carrying the eternal love of God inside of him to reveal God's love for the world. So we need the love of the Father, but on our own, we can't experience the love of the Father. He is beyond us, but we can't experience the love of the Father in the love of Jesus, the faithful witness. In love, God has cloaked himself in our garb. He has incarnated himself in our flesh He has stepped into our world and robed himself in the very creation that he has made, all so that we could experience his love. And the glory of Easter is that the whole thing worked. Jesus dove down into the darkness of human sin and death and has returned again from the grave, the firstborn from the dead, alive and a light and a flame with God's radiating love for the world. And because he lives, because he is not just some bare artifact of history, Jesus is present with us here in this moment, in this room. Mysteriously so, wondrously so, but truly so. And in him, we experience God's eternal love for us. So now let me take this point. Of the experience of God's love in Jesus and apply it now to two different groups of people. First, to those of you that are my fellow Christians, Easter is a reminder to us as Christians that we must not reduce our faith to mere ideas and mere thoughts about God or to religious practices. Or to moral precepts and behaviors. And that can be a great temptation, maybe especially for those of us who have grown up in the church or those of us who have been Christians for a long time. We drift away from our experience of God's love. We often find ourselves closed off to God's love for all sorts of reasons, often not consciously or intentionally. But in the absence of the experience of God's love, we fill up our faith with things like reading scripture and prayer and going to church and right doctrine and Bible studies and small group and behaving morally. And all those things are good, truly, they are good, but they're not always the same thing as experiencing the love of God. Think about the most intimate, loving relationship that you have. Or maybe you don't have very many intimate, loving relationships. Think about the ideal one, then, that you could conceive of in your head. How would you speak or describe the beauty of that relationship? Yes, a beautiful relationship will involve phone calls and walks and talks and time spent with each other and acts of service. But there's something deeper in an intimate relationship that transcends mere behavior, and mere ideas about the other person. At the heart of every truly beautiful, intimate relationship is an experience of love, an experience of love. It's the same with God. So I ask you as my fellow Christians this morning, do you experience God's love? You experience his love. Not do you believe in his love. Not do you think his love is true. Not can you find Bible verses about his love. But do you experience his love? When is the last time that you felt his embrace? Is the last time that you felt his kind regard for you? How long has it been since you've heard him say, I love you, just because? When is the last time you felt his calming hand upon your shoulder in the midst of a stressful situation? When is the last time you smiled at something and he smiled too? Then you looked at each other and you smiled together at that same thing. When is the last time he took you to task in a firm but loving way, telling you that you're better than that? When is the last time you laughed together with God? When is the last time he teased you or poked fun at you? God wants to know us in an intimate, personal, loving way. He's not looking for soldiers to add to his cause. He doesn't need followers to come alongside just to make him feel more important. Our heavenly father wants to know us and to be known by us and to dwell in an intimate love relationship with us. Do you experience his love like that? It's been a long while since you've experienced God's love. Don't don't beat yourself up for it. God isn't telling you that he loves you so you can feel guilty about how you haven't experienced his love. Sometimes it's hard to experience God's love. I you know, it's been hard for me at times to experience God's love. So many things can get in the way. Life can just get in the way of experiencing God's love. But don't settle for mere ideas about God and mere behaviors for God. Listen, God loves you. The Father loves you. And the reason that he sent Christ is so that you could have an experience of his love. Maybe for some of you, your faith has for so long been reduced to mere behaviors for God and ideas about God that you've lost some sense of purpose for your faith. Maybe you're slowly drifting away from it altogether. And if Christianity was nothing more than mere ideas and behaviors, I wouldn't blame you. In fact, I would probably join you. After I figured out what to do for a job, I would join you. But Christianity is, at its heart, not just ideas about God and and behaviors for God. It is an experience of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Do not try to live the Christian life apart from an experience of God's love. I've tried that. It can be pretty exhausting, and it ends joyless and hard, Jesus has not called us, God has not called us to live the Christian life isolated from the experience of God's love because the Christian life is the experience of God's love. That's the whole point of the Christian life, that we would live in the experience and dwell in the experience of God's love. So, dear Christian, my prayer for you this Easter is that the faithful witness would lead you to the God who has loved you from the foundation of the world so that you could afresh experience the Father's love. And to my non-Christian friends who are with us this morning, I say to you everything I just said to my Christian friends. Christianity is not simply a religion, a set of beliefs, moral precepts, sacred practices. Maybe that has been your impression of Christianity. That Christianity is just a a bunch of creeds that you profess to believe, even if you don't really believe them, and it's so a way that you live your life, because it's kind of good to live your life, and just dedicated religious people. Christianity is a religion, but it's not just a religion. Christianity is, at its heart, an experience of God's love in Jesus Christ. All of us need something to live for, it's simply the way of human nature. We need direction, we need some goal, we need some sense of why we should be getting out of bed in the morning, something to animate our lives and move forward with life. We need some belief that this path is better than this path. We need some way to organize our lives. Maybe you've heard the story about the donkey that starved to death standing between two identical piles of carrots looked at the piles, could not determine which one was better than the other, and in his indecision just starved to death, right? And I think some of us in our lives, we get stuck like that, right? Where we, we can't find anything to live for. We don't know where we should be going. And we're just kind of stuck like the donkey between two piles of carrots, starving to death. And it's into that vacuum that Christian, Christianity comes along and says that all of us should be living for love. But not just human love and not just worldly love, but for the highest love of all, for God's love, for the source and the summit of all love, God himself in Christ. The love that created the stars and the galaxies and the vast expanses of the universe, and that created you and me because he loves us. And it's in that love that we find our purpose, being loved by God and extending that love to others in the world. God's love stands all around us. The scriptures state that even as a non-Christian, in him you live and you move and you have your being. And the great tragedy of human existence is that we stand neck deep in the love of God and we don't experience it. That we live our lives blind to all the joy and the glory and the beauty of God's love. In our blindness, we search for love in all the wrong places, trying to wrench love from the world and and from each other. And in the process, we invariably end up wounding ourselves and wounding others and wounding the world. But the message of Easter is that Jesus has come from God, sent by God as a faithful witness, carrying God's love within himself in order to reunite humanity with the loving God who made us. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I long for you to know the love of God. And I feel inadequate to communicate to you the glory and the beauty, the majesty of God's love. But I can say to you, and there are others here this morning who can say to you that once you've tasted the love of God, it makes sense, and you understand it. My prayer for you this Easter is that your eyes would be open to see Jesus, the faithful witness, and in him you would experience the love that God has for you. And that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. The scriptures say that in order to become a Christian, we must repent of our sins, which means stop trying to find all of our ultimate meaning in what God has made, and instead, open ourselves up to the eternal, never-ending, all-satisfying love of God that is poured out into our lives by the Holy Spirit and that redeems us and heals us. We saw a beautiful picture of that this morning in the Christian sacrament of baptism, the great initiation rite publicly into the public life of the church. And baptism is a picture of what it means to repent of our sins and to cast ourselves into the love of God. This going under the water is the dying to our old way of living. And this rising again is rising to this new way of living within the splendor of God's love. And maybe for some of you, you have been hanging around the margins of Christianity for a while. And you're right at that tipping point of, do I want to step into God's love? Or do I continue to remain on the outside of God's love? Maybe this morning, the Spirit is speaking a special word to your heart, inviting you uniquely, you personally, into his love. Maybe you're ready to receive God's love this morning. You're ready to let go of trying to find love in all the wrong places. Surrendering to God's love, is just a prayer away. It's just a prayer away. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths, we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. We just communicate to God the, the earnest longing of our heart and our faith in him as he reveals himself to us and he meets us in that place. I'm gonna close in prayer here. We're gonna take communion in just a bit, but... I'm going to close the sermon in prayer for all of us, but then I'm going to lead out in a time of prayer. And maybe as I lead out in that prayer, you can make that your own prayer. Maybe you want to communicate to God your desire to step into a loving relationship with him. Just take the words that I pray here as your own and make them your own and communicate to God and he will meet you in that place. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us Jesus not just to tell us things about you, not just to show us certain ways that we should live, not to give us religious rites and observances to follow. Thank you that you have given us Jesus to reveal your kind regard for us, your fondness of us. Thank you that you have given us Jesus to communicate your love for us, and even more than that, Lord, so that we could experience your love for us. That here in this earth, journeying towards you, we don't have to wait till we see you in the end to experience your love, but we can experience your love here even now. I pray for my fellow believers here this morning, if they've wandered away from the experience of your love, that they would recalibrate their lives to to seeking after this experience that you hold out to them in Christ. Help them not to settle. Reveal yourself to them, Lord, I pray. And Lord, for those that might be here this morning that are not believers, who perhaps this morning feel the tug in their heart, the invitation to give themselves to you, Lord. I pray that you would impress upon them your great love for them and the openness with which you will receive them. Lord, maybe they would want to pray even something like this. Lord, I see that I need you in my life. I've tried to find meaning apart from you, but none of it is enough. And I repent of my sins and my fearful efforts to find love. And I surrender myself now to your love, trusting that you and you alone bring life out of my death. Forgive me for holding myself and my world back from you. I give myself wholly to you. Come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Forgive my sins. Put to death the old me and raise me up in the newness of life. Make me who you want me to be. God, I pray that if there's any here that have, That's the earnest desire of their heart and in their own ways they have prayed to you in the best they know how. I pray that you would meet them and you would calm them and you would reveal yourself to them and let them know that you love them. I wanna welcome them into our family, Lord, as brothers and sisters, children belong to you. Pray this in your son's name, amen. Amen.